0: So I'm looking around at my defense and guys are like, you got this. And there's a, st- it gets loud standing ovation. Like just starts to come like, at first I'm like, dang, they had just announced my name. And I'm like, even these people know I'm having a great, like it was almost kind of like, they're, they're cheering for me. at Cleveland. Like, I turn around, Jim Tomy's in the box.
1: Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the farm. I'm your host, Kyle Bandupo. On today's episode, I'm talking to a three-time World Series champion and former Giants left-hander Jeremy Eiffeld. If you think of Jeremy, you probably think of that run he had to end his career with the Giants. Dominant postseason left-hander on those three title teams really rode out into the sunset baseball-wise. As we dive into today, it was a long journey to get there. We go from his days at a tiny Washington State high school to his time in the Royal system and with the big club. Jeremy spent his first 10 years or so in pro ball trying to figure out who he was as a pitcher and figure out what his role should actually be. During his time in Kansas City, he shuttled between the rotation, the bullpen, even closing for a time, which really burned him out on baseball. We talk about his multiple rebirths and finding the right role in the back half of his career. We obviously have some postseason baseball talk and even some craft beer talk. Jeremy recorded the interview from the podcast studio in his brewery in Bernie, Texas, Free Run Brewing, which I highly recommend to anyone who ever visits uh, Bernie, Texas. But it was a thrill to have Jeremy on. Uh, great to great to chop it up. Great to talk some World Series baseball. And great to get some of that technical pitching talk I love to have on the show. Episodes of Phenomenon on the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com in the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. Uh, scouting on international signings has been released. We've got some early college baseball coverage. Always a good time to be subscribed to Baseball America. And with that, let's talk to Jeremy Affel. Joining in for today's episode from Phenom to the Farm, he's the third-round pick of the Royals in the 1997 draft. He's a three-time World Series champion with the Giants' lefty, Jeremy Affel. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm.
0: Heck yeah, man. I'm glad to be on here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, it's great to have a... Uh, it's not, not often I have a fellow Bernie resident on the show, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex, ex, excited to do this. I encourage anyone uh, in Bernie, Texas, or in the San Antonio surrounding area, go check out Free Roam Brewery, where Jeremy is, is recording from right now. Uh, but, Jeremy, I'll go back to pre-Free pre, pre Free Roam, pre-Big Leagues, pre-a lot of things. When did you first realize you had a shot at the next level of baseball, whether that be professional baseball or the college level?
0: You know, uh, my junior year... Uh, in high school, so I played at a small school. Uh, Northwest Christian was 500 kids, K through 12. So it wasn't 500 high school; it was the whole gamut, right? I went to a small private school. Uh, so we were in a pretty low level um, area of baseball where we would play. I mean, we play Indian reservations up there. We would play small towns. I mean, there'd be eighth graders on these high school teams because they're just. They don't have enough, right? They're trying to fund it. So, so to me, it was it, it was a hard thing for some of these guys to even think about. Is he really that good? I mean, I may give up one hit my senior year. It was a, it was like a homer. It was one hit.
1: I like, mean, I'm imagining an eighth eight like an eighth grader kid on an Indian reservation facing a future big leaguer. Yeah, like ninety some like miles an
0: hour. You know, I was throwing ninety in my. <laughs> I was throwing ninety three. My you know eighty, ninety, ninety three my senior year. So I mean, it, it, from the left side, on top of it, right? So. Yeah, so, you know, just trying to go out there and, man, uh, you, you know, to compete at that level, you're dominating people, right? So my summer, my junior year, my I, I, I tried out for uh, the Blue Devils, which was a Legion ball team, and it was a 3A Legion, so it was the highest level Legion ball you can. And a lot of the upper high schoolers of all the bigger high schools in Spokane, that's where they played. And I, I I remember getting invited to, to be on that team. And I kind of figured that would be my pulse because it's like now these are the guys that are facing, you know, high velocity. They've, they've had to make teams There's tryouts for their teams probably where Northwest was like, you want to play, play, right? And we had a good team. We were 16. I think we were undefeated four years in a row. And I had four of my guys on my team all made the same Blue Devil team. So we had a good, good team, but we would beat teams 32 to nothing. In five innings, we'd tend to run them. Like, it, it, it was – and my coach was actually Jack Hancock, a mentor of mine. He would pull me out for three innings. I wouldn't pitch. He wouldn't even try to – I mean, he wasn't trying to run up the scores. It was just that's how bad some of those scenarios were, right? So um getting into the Blue Devils, my summer year between my junior and senior year, I remember – um I remember all of a sudden scouts were coming to watch another guy, John Barnison, who actually played at Northwest Christian. He was a shortstop for us and transferred to a place called Mead High School. And, and he's unbelievable talent. Super smart guy, scored perfect on his SCTs, genius Stanford guy. I mean, super smart, but a man among boys. Like he was a man. Shaved when he's a sophomore, you know, just like crazy, right? Strong,
1: yeah, uh, good type. player.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, athletic, you know, all that stuff, right? So, you know, he went, and there's some scouts, college and professional scouts that were looking at him uh, in our Legion ball, and I just happened to be pitched in that day. Uh, And I pitched and threw really well, and I remember a scout coming up to me and being like, hey, man, where do you go to school? And I said, Northwest Christian, and he's like, Northwest Christian? i never heard of that. And I told him where he was at and how small it was, and he was, like, shaking his head, like, how did we not see – like?" we just all missed this. Like you've been, how long, you know, I'm like, I'm a junior and about to be a senior. And he's like, it was almost all the other scouts started walking up to me and kind of getting in a circle and they all, and then by the next three or four games, man and scouts were all over the place. And then they started handing me these tests, you know, these psychological tests, which you rather live in a cabin in the woods or in the city you know, it's all the stuff they do try to figure out who you are. Right.
1: Cabin in the woods describes minor league baseball a little better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So is your favorite movie, both Durham or what can you, you know, do you dream of being a part of that lifestyle stuff like that? You know? So, uh, you know, so I remember just filling that out and, and thinking, man, I might have, I don't know anything about pro, but college. Yeah. And I was doing well. And the next thing I know, my senior year, uh, Uh, By the, I would say by the end of my, my, that summer, the Gonzaga coach came out and he was watching. um, Who's a friend of mine to this day, the Hertz family, both of him and his nephew uh, were uh, his nephew played on the Gonzaga team that I would have played on. Uh, So they're good friends of mine today. And, and they came out, watched, and he was like, he was like, we're going to keep watching you. And then I, he was at practices the game started i'm like wow why is there a coach at a practice i mean it just was foreign to me and my high school coach wouldn't tell me about it he he was a really good guy man he's like not nah, we're not playing that game you just go be who you are you know he did a really good job of handling the scouts and the college scouts he, he really did and uh um, so
1: you're getting all this attention but you're not going like gonzaga's local are you did you have any thoughts of like hey what is Washington and Washington State up to or what? what yeah, should, you're kind of still like in this bubble. Just there, that I was to you, because no one slated. could trust
0: it. No one could trust it. Those numbers are are like they're video game numbers. They're not even like they don't make sense. I mean, I'm hitting 470 as a hitter. You know, like in high school, you're hitting 470 or 500, and you're. Yeah, I mean, they, they and you got like you've given up two hits. Like, there's no way that's just mind boggling. Like, if I'm a scout, I'm like. Mm, I, I can't even gauge that, but my velocity alone should have given him something, right? You're left-handed throwing 90 miles an hour. I'm pretty sure we'll make it work in
1: 1997 too, which is a different level of velo.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, come on, man. Yeah. It's not like, it, you know, it's now you see these guys throwing hundred in high school, but back then it was like, come on, man, there's not even a lefty in the big leagues that throws that hard. There's not 12 of them or 15 of them back then. Right. There's a few of them, Randy Johnson and stuff like that. But, so WSU coach actually said I was overrated. He actually said that. He said, nah, it's overrated. I'm like, oh, wow. And then uh, Lewis and Clark was interested, and they're a great baseball school, obviously.
1: Legendary NAIA program. Yep,
0: yep. Legendary. And And they, they – but then I found out you had to box for your position. And at that time, I'm 170 pounds. I'm like, I'm not going there. I'm going to get my butt kicked. Man. Lewis and
1: Clark you State know? is like the – you hear – like guys on like when I was in college, it was one of the things that you tell like tall tales about what you've heard about what guys at Lewis and Clark state have to go to. (laughs) Exactly.
0: I played with a guy that went there and he's like, no, we boxed. We did. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's real. Like it was just so foreign. But then I couldn't get, you know, Oregon before they had a real, they have a decent program, but at that time they didn't, they offered me a full ride without even seeing me. I'm like, well, that's weird. I don't know if I want to do that. You haven't even seen me, you know? And so I, I remember, uh, flying down to, um, but I was that kid that I was like, then I was starting to believe it. Right. Like, Oh, I can do this. I, I can do this. I had scouts at every practice. I had 30 scouts at a game. Like it was nuts, right? Like people. And then I had one scout Greg Smith for the Royals that followed me everywhere He would show up in the littlest town in Timbuktu, and he would be there. He was the only scout that was at every single game. And uh, they eventually drafted me, right, the Royals draft. But he was there. He was like, no, I sniffed this thing like a long – like this is – he was falling. He had just got out of the big leagues. He was a backup uh, second baseman. Uh, to the Cubs, he was a backup to Sandberg, but then he was a backup to, in, in, in with the LA Dodgers as well. And so he had just got the game. So he was kind of seeing high velocity left-handed pretty tough. Right. So, uh, he, he was a great guy for me, still a friend of mine. And he, I remember he just kind of, he, he said, what do you want to do? You want to go play professional baseball or college? And I'm like, I don't know, like in my head, why wouldn't you want to play professional baseball? Like, that's a dream, man. And my mom was like, they're both teachers. My mom, she's a teacher. My dad was retired military. Now he's a teacher. But she was like, he should go to college. And my dad was like, he was great. He was like, no, you're going to let him do whatever he needs to do. Like, if he's going to go play professional baseball, college will be there. It's not going anywhere. And he can go back. But this is a career choice. Like let him and my dad joined the military when he was 18 and still got a master's degree. So he he kind of had that understanding of being able to chase something. And and my mom came around to that. Uh and I remember getting drafted. I remember going to Laterno University down here in uh Texas and the coach looking at me and saying, Hey man, he didn't believe it until I tried out for him, hit, pitch, everything. And he was like, Hold crap like all right like i'll give you a full ride but i can't give it to you via athletics because he's a naia or he was a division two i can't remember what they were at the time he said but i can't give you a sports scholarship i have to give you an academic and i'm i have a high 3.9 so i had a high enough grade point average and he said i'll give it to you that way he's like and you're good enough to play here probably d1 schools definitely but you're not good enough to play professional baseball and i remember when he said that i kind of shook his hand i said appreciate that thank you and walked out and My mom was excited. She's like, I'll I'll fill out your paperwork for you. Like, this is awesome. You know, you got Gonzaga. You got any. And they were excited because my sister was at George Fox, and it was costing them a mint uh, to send her to college. So they were like, we don't pay for college. This is great, right? And I remember looking at my mother, and I was like, "Mm, I'm not playing for that man. She's like, what? Why? I was like, because he flat out looked me in the eye and said he didn't believe in me. Like, he literally said that I'm not good enough like I'll never play for a guy like that and I I appreciate honesty but you've never you don't know you can't say I'm not good enough like I just I just blew away three of your top hitters on nine pitches like like I'm good enough there's got to be something you maybe I'm not good enough maybe I am but you sh- telling me that is probably not something that I'm going to be able to want to receive from a guy that I don't trust yet you know and so I, I just said I'm not playing for him. I gotta I gotta I gotta play it for people that believe in me. And the Gonzaga coach was definitely believing in me. He was like, I'll give you a full ride for four years. Cause I think you're that good and I think you can go everywhere else too. And so that gave me hope. But then when they drafted me in the third round, the Royals did, and we're I was like, I'm going. Like third round. It's not like I got drafted in the 10th round or 33rd round and my parents didn't really understand it at the time i mean it's tough think about it you're getting drafted in the third round your son's getting drafted at i'm 17 years old all of a sudden this this pro team where my dad was like we were just watching baseball on tv we didn't think you'd be in the third round with one of these guys. Well,
1: it's not like it is now where there's the top 500 rankings. You can see the slot for every pick and things like that. I I mean, that's right. Draft day in general had to be, I mean, they're doing it at over conference call.
0: Yeah. You, you, you just don't even know. Yeah. You're, you're, there's no, you negotiate your contract. Like, that's what you do. You, you, you negotiate. I had to get an agent and they were hoping I wouldn't get one because they're like, we can probably try to sneak something in. I got an agent. Um, he he got a he got an okay deal for me, but I remember the only reason I fired him was I was talking to him later that summer and he looked at me and said, Man, I could have got you more money. And I'm like, Why didn't you? He's like, Well, you said you wanted to play. You just wanted to get down there. Well, but you could have negotiated. You could have negotiated? He's like, Yeah. He said, like, but I just you just wanted to go. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure agents are supposed to look out for your best interest, you know? And so I fired him. And my mom found a guy named Mike Moy uh in Sports Spectrum. And uh and I called him. He's my agent for the rest of my career. And I mean he's amazing. I mean, he's Berkman, Beckett. I mean, he's the agent for Todd Helton. I mean, he's got a he he's a big, big agent. Josh Hamilton and um great man, good friend of mine. And I hired him and, and he just encouraged me the whole time. He's like, You've got it you just got to keep your head on your shoulders and learn as much as possible, you know? And so even in the minor leagues, I wouldn't say I knew I'd be a big leaguer. I think it was my double a year that I knew it, but I uh, had people, I, I I ended up surrounding myself with people that were just pushing me and, and telling me, you know, grind it out. It's going to be tough and, and, and get through it. And it, I appreciated that whole um, process of every coach, every mentor, every agent that, that pushed me along the way. Uh, it was, it, I was very thankful.
1: What was the culture shock like when you got into pro ball? Because you go from mm. winning games thirty eight to nothing to now you're now you're up against guys with with similar talent. Um, you're up against other yeah. picks and things like that, and um, you know, with limited opportunities to test yourself in high school. What were those like? The first two years like when you're one, you're out of the house for the first time. You're just learning how to be an adult, learning how to be a, a professional and up against competition that up to that time you had you had not seen.
0: Man, that's a great question because it's a fact. Uh I got down there I gave up four hits uh in my first outing. I thought I was a. I thought I was a loser. I thought I was the worst pitcher ever. I was like I just gave up four hits in three innings. Like what? What's happening? I had no idea how to give up hits. I literally didn't. I I I I did I gave up so few hits. I did not know what it felt like to even get in four hits. We're talking four hits. Like Big deal. I mean, these, but I'm dealing with, you know, 17-year-old kids from Dominican that have been swinging wood bats since they were four. You know, like, they, they, I didn't even understand that culture. I had no idea that the that the Latin guys that i be on the team with, that was foreign to me at first. I'm like, wow, this is interesting. But they were so good. Like, incredibly, and they're my age. I'm like, well, I've never even seen talent like this. I mean, they were so good athletically. It was crazy. And then some of the high school kids, obviously, that were in these big Texas schools, you know, like that my son's playing in now, that is just off the chart talent. And I just didn't even know that existed, you know, coming from where I came from. So,
1: did you even have a sense of your craft, like how to pitch? Because I, I, I'm assuming in high school, you didn't need much more than that fastball.
0: I didn't. I had a, a fork ball that I threw for fun because it was funny watching guys swing at it, because it danced and stuff like that. I had a good curveball. Again, that I threw for fun. It was just because you made people look complete. Kids were ducking. And I was la- it, it was a fun thing. I didn't need probably more in my fastball. But, you know, I'd throw a curveball right at a guy. And, you know, it's just funny. Now you throw a curveball at a guy and he just spits on it. And you're like, wait, what? Like, he didn't even, he didn't even, like, act like that was even a curveball. And and they're like, yeah, man, it didn't come out of your hand, right? I'm like, we come out of my hand, right? What are you talking about? So you see all those things that I had to learn, I had no idea, and and so I had to literally learn to pitch. I I, I had a hard time playing catch. I mean, my catch partner Taylor Myers, he was a, a a friend of mine. Still still talk to him every now and then, and and he would get so mad at me because I'd overthrow him. He's like, dude, you can can you play catch? Like I. I I just threw far, but I didn't. I didn't know how to like hit the glove every time or hit the chest. It was never part of my deal. There was just so much that I had to learn and understand. Roommates. I, I literally had a roommate that didn't think like me, act like me, talk like me. Like I, I, I. I and, and was, I'm sure it, it was a, a big really time nice apartment, apartment all the too. way around.
1: I'm sure it was just the <laughs> it was a
0: hotel room. We got put up in the hotel rooms. It was the Radisson Inn in Fort Myers, Florida, you know, and then they made, they paid for our breakfast. Literally that's what we were. We were in hotel rooms the whole I'm season. I'm shocked
1: that you got any free meals, especially in, in 97, 98. Um, yeah. It's funny in multiple looking back at like multiple BA scouting reports in the, in the Royals top 30 at that time. Your win totals are mentioned in both of them, like mentioning that you led a league in losses you wins, something that doesn't yeah. factor into <laughs> pitching evaluation now yeah. we, and especially considering the minors are the priorities' development, not winning but i'm I'm curious at that time when pitcher wins were a big deal, is that something that you you know, that you took stock in or, or affected how you felt about yourself if you were picking up an L on the day and a you know, in a high A game?
0: 100%, because I didn't like to lose. And I, I take that. I took that. I was over analytical too, right? So I did. I led the league in, I think, 16 loss. I, I actually led the league. I think I might still have the record. I gave the most hits. I gave up 16 hits in like a four and a third in a game. I mean, I, I gave up all kinds of hits. Like, it, it, it was it was mind-boggling. And the crazy thing was, Not only did I 16 losses, they put, they protected me on the 40 man after that series or after that year. And that just tells you that the powers that be, the guys that understand the game don't care about wins and losses. They care about where's his velocity average. Where's he sitting at? Not where's he hitting? I don't care. He throws 96. Where's he sitting? He's sitting at 92. Okay. So we're looking at 92. So 92 how's his breaking ball. Why, you know, he might've taken some losses, but could be everything. We got a ball defense out there. You know, you got, you know, you got wild stuff. You got a catcher not knowing probably what to call. You got all kinds of stuff, right? But I I, I should have known then when they protected me that they, they look at the game differently. And now that I see it, I know how they look at the game and they don't care about your wins and losses in the minor leagues. What they care about is, can you hit the spot? Can you throw to the location? Can you, if you're a hard, if you're in a, if you're a, Acceleration guy, if you're out there just letting it fly, can you hit the halves? Like you throw a hundred, you don't need to hit it on the corner. I just need you to throw the outer half, not the inner half. Or throw the inner half, not the outer half. Can you do that? Like, because they know when you get to the big leagues, they've got every scouting report known to man. They got a catcher that knows what he's doing. They got the they they've got everything going. So they just want to know can you execute a certain pitch? They don't care if you get hit in double A because you threw a curveball on a you know, on a 2-2 count, when the guy was late on your fastball, you throw a curveball and hang it, and he hits it for a, a double at the gap. They don't care about that because they're not going to call that pitch up there. You know, they're not going to they're not going to be on the same page. They just want, can you execute it? And so, for me, I didn't see all that. So, winning and losing was a big deal. It, it, I had a hard time. I, shoot, I think I wanted to quit a couple times just because I hated – and they don't tell you that, and I understand why they don't tell you that because they want to push you. But if they would have given me a little bit more understanding, it probably would have given me a little more confidence. So I was in my own head uh, a lot of times, and my fear of failure uh, was higher. I didn't have a fear of success; I feared failure. And then, so when you're when you're throwing hard and you're throwing this curveball and you're still losing, you're like, you know, you just take deep breaths. And but if anything, it teaches you to lose. It teaches you to like. Get up the next day and try it again. It teaches you all that stuff, right? And then my double A year was really good. You know, I made three all star teams then, and and didn't get to the big leagues, and I was pissed off about that, right?
1: You said you said earlier that you knew when you got to double A, you knew you'd be a big leaguer. What was it? The club's yeah. confidence in you being out of the forty? Is that what told you, or was there something about? you looking around and seeing it all these other pitchers in this league and how you stack up and saying, okay, I have like, how do you, how do you know in your heart? Okay. I have what it takes to make it to the big leagues.
0: Yeah, that's it. Double A was a level for me that one, there were guys at that time, not as much now, but that time there were guys in double A that were in the big leagues have had big leagues. They, they went up, they, you're facing them. Then you got all the rehab guys that you're facing and I'm starting to face big leaguers now in a rehab, but not on like a a, a Florida, like a Gulf Coast league, not on a rookie. I, I saw big leaguers come down to rehab, but you didn't really take much stock in that because they weren't even caring. The double A rehab is more like, no, I got to, I got to be ready. This is, I'm taking legit at bats here. I'm working counts because I got to go back up. And so they, you were at that level with them. And, and for me, when I was beating those guys, and then I was throwing my curveball for strikes. I had revamped my curveball in the instructional league the year before uh, with Mike Mason and uh, a pitching coach that I value highly—value of getting me not to the big leagues, but sustaining my success there. You know, when Mike Mason broke me down, and we got my curveball back on track, I was throwing it for strikes, and and all of a sudden I'm just dominating hitters and. You're making a double-A all-star team. When I made the Texas League all-star team, you're like, okay, definitely can go to triple-A. You know, I can pitch up there. If they call me up, I was wanting to get called up to even triple-A. I could get my feet wet up there, hopefully, and just see now you got actual 4A players that are there, guys that should be playing in Japan. They, they 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 got big league talent, but they can't sustain it. Go to Japan, or they're bouncing back and forth. So you're seeing big league talent up there. So I wanted to kind of try that. So I was trying to get there. And... But then when I made the all Texas when I made the all double A all star team of both leagues, uh, that's when I knew I was like, no, no, I know. And I started the Texas one and then I came in pretty early on the uh, on the all double A all star game. And then I made the postseason all star game. So when I made those, I knew I had the ability and I had made and I had beat out guys that were called up to the big leagues. So it's like. That guy got called to the big leagues, but i've been my numbers are better. so you saw teams that were pulling guys up, right uh, and I was still pretty young though. I was a young kid, I was still twenty one years old, right? So you know for me, uh I kind of had that went to the fall league, did really well in the fall league. Um, had one, I think, which is
1: usually like majority of the fall league is going to make it at some point. That's what that's, it's a, sh- it's a showcase league. That's
0: right. It is that I, I don't yep. want
1: to get into the minutia of pitching too much, but yep. you mentioned like getting the curve ball on track and that stuff that interests me is that cause sometimes it's like guys can spin a ball or guys can't spin a ball, but when you're getting it back on track, is that, is it a grip adjustment? Is it working with you on a confidence or a new a new arming or a new, new way to throw it, a new way you should be using it. Like what is getting, getting a pitch on track and turning it into a, a big league pitch or an effective pitch between, you know, as opposed to just something that you can, you can spin well, but aren't using effectively. Yeah.
0: I think it was both. I, I my, my spin rate on my curveball. I mean, I say that that's just, I actually hate the analytics side of things right now, but that's what they call it. Uh, but I just, I had a, my curveball was really good in a ball. It was really good. I just couldn't throw for a strike. So it would be nasty. But what hitters started to figure out is like, I'm just going to take it. I can't hit it. It breaks too much. It snaps, but so it would always be right in the dirt. Right. And our umpires would miss it. It's a hard pitch for them to catch. Cause I was at that time I was literally 12 to six. So an umpire would miss a lot cause it would fall out of the sky. And so what we did was like, Hey man, why don't we, I want to change. They changed my grip a little bit. And they had me a little bit more around, so it kind of would It would be 12 to 6, but it was more like 11 to 5. And and then it was back off on your curveball. I want you to learn to flip the curveball in, strike one, and then throw your snapper. So I had to figure out, I had to learn what how to throw the strike, which means just flip it up there, man. Hitters are not going to swing at it right away. You start 0-0 and you throw a curveball, it starts up over their head, They're taking. They're not going to try to hit that. Then once you get into a count, throw your one for a strike because they're swinging. And so I had to learn how to throw it, when to throw it, and command it. And I had to be able to go 2-1 to 2-2. So I had to learn how to get my curveball to where I could get back into a count. So learning when I'm 2-1, flipping it in there, get me back to 2-2, that's what started separating me is I could throw a curveball for a strike behind the count. And that's where they kind of started speeding me up a little bit.
1: So you finish that double A season. You go to, to big league camp, spring training, 2002. Yeah. Walking into big league camp as a guy who had not yet tasted triple A or not done extended time in triple A. Were you thinking I'm going in with a chance to make this team?
0: No, Uh, I went in with, so I was in big league camp the year before. Because I was on the forty man, but I was on that first cut after two weeks, right? You just went up there for, ah, we'll do it, have some good time, and then go back get ready. But what yeah, it first
1: big league camp, yeah. Let's, yeah but what I'm it
0: happy. did help me with is being comfortable around big leaguers. So the next year coming in, I know those guys, right? Comfortable with them. A lot of those guys came down to double A, and we hung out and and just kind of you know on the bench or out in the field, and so I was comfortable with being in that environment and I learned a lot in the fall league but I came in thinking listen like I, I they got starters they got five already they got guys ahead of me you know and and guys that were in triple A have a chance I I'm probably going to go to triple A like but I'm going to give it everything I got and if anything what anything I'm going to show them that I should be here but my I guess I hadn't been triple A yet so it's like ah uh, you know, I'll probably have to go, but I'm going to try to, but I wanted to try to stay in big league camp as long as possible. One, the food is way better. Uh, so you're like, I don't want to go down cause I don't want the minor league spring training slop, you know? So I was like, I need to stay here. And, and I got a lot of wisdom. I got to hang with, and, and the more you hang with those guys, just the more, the, the more confidence you have of like, I deserve it. Right. Like I I stayed long enough to where I competed and, I, I, I'm i going to go to AAA thinking, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close. Like I'm, I'm a call away. Like I'm going to pitch like it and believe it, you know? And so that's what, what my whole goal was at the time.
1: And so you, you get into spring training 2002 and you start throwing up zero after zero, after zero, you survive one cut, survive two cuts. When do, when do things start getting a little, like there's, there's fewer people in this clubhouse right now.
0: Yeah, it started getting down there. And and there was a guy, so who Daryl May, that came over from Japan. He was going to start. He had signed a deal, so he was going to be one of the starters. And so I knew that that wasn't in me. And I had only started. I had only started um, in my minor league career, right? So that's all I did. Uh, but at that whole camp, I was relieving. I was just coming in whenever they asked me. I, they usually brought me in to start an innings so that I would be out of a wind up, right? So they never did anything. So we had Daryl May was gonna be so I saw that. Writing was on the wall there. You had Dan Riker, you had Jeff Supon. you know, you had um gonna figure out who there's a couple other starters I'm trying oh you had Paul Bird. You know, you guys are like, I got no shot of being. Gr- in the Grimsley was rotation. on
1: that team, wasn't he? Grims was Grimsley was on that
0: team, yeah. And Roberto Hernandez. Um and and they were they were good for me. I enjoyed them. But they were still at that high upper big league status, right, where you're like, they didn't care about you. They're getting ready for a season, you know. And so I, we got thinner and thinner. And then it was basically when you see the lefties, really it was just me and Shouse, you know. And I'm like, all right, I don't know how many teams are going to take two lefties. Shouse, Brian Shouse, he ended up having a pretty good career, actually. But he was kind of a low-level guy, kind of a lower velocity, but he threw from, like, down under, right? And so he kind of had that weird funky arm slot. He was having a great spring. Um, and I was having a good spring. I ain't giving up a run, right? And so I was like, this is awesome. Then the articles are being written. And I played in Pittsburgh. And I remember I was in Pittsburgh, I was throwing 94 miles an hour in spring training and striking out the side. I was dropping down. I was getting so confident I would drop down and throw a sidearm curveball just to see if it worked. I was striking big, big time, big leaguers out. I was like, this is awesome. You know, I'm like, my confidence is getting there. Right. And, and I remember um, an article that came out and I uh, actually framed it. Someone framed it for me. It was pretty cool. And they were just talking about how uh, Paznansky did it. Really good writer. Uh, Yes. Yeah.
1: Joe, Joe Paznansky.
0: Phenomenal writer. Right. So he wrote it and he said, man, just sitting out there, bored as nothing. And this kid comes in throwing 94. And it was like, everybody perked up and, you know like the the game got interesting all of a sudden and i remember he basically was calling for me to be on the team he's like you got nothing like you you got to have this guy you can't you got to give us something to be excited about here in Kansas City right like he basically that's what he said basically and i remember because having- that
1: was the era of not much Kansas City excitement yeah. It was, it was Mike Sweeney and not much else.
0: Yeah. Like Sweeney dog was an MVP and you're like, Oh, we got an MVP, you know, like that's about all you got working for you, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, and I, 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 I remember sitting there and I just pitched and I went on every road. They had me go on every road trip. I mean, they were breaking me in at the time. I didn't know it, but I'd be on every, I'd be so tired in spring training. I wouldn't even pitch. I would just go. And I'd be like, Dude, I'd take score. They had me scorekeeping. Like, that's what I got. I had to drive three-hour bus rides to scorekeep. While all my buddies were at home, they're going into town. They're having food. They're grilling out with their wives in the pool, and I'm out there slugging it on this baseball field, keeping score of the game, right? So I remember coming in. I was super tired, and I didn't have to I, – I I had pitched the day before. We got back super late, and uh, uh, we had to make another trip to play the Cleveland Indians. Just up the road, but still with traffic, it's like 45 minutes. And I remember just sitting all of a sudden, they're like, felt you're at the game today. And I'm like, what? I just pitched yesterday. They're like, you going to say no. We just said you got to go. And I'm like, kind of wanted to say no. You know, I was like, enough. <laughs> you know, my, like, this is, this sucks. So I remember I got on the bus and they're like, you're back up. So don't worry about it. You're only emergency if needed. I'm like, all right. So go to the game. I'm sitting there and and our uh we have this rule five kid uh that has to make the team so he starts and uh he uh he's giving it up. I mean his balls going everywhere. So I'm just kind of sitting there, but I'm backup, right? I'm like, there's nine pitchers that gotta go before me. Like, there's no way. I don't care what the score is. So I'm just sitting there, I'm just kicked back and I got my cleats on, but I'm not I'm 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 not even taking score. They don't have any scorekeeping right now. I'm just sitting down there. And the phone rings, and um, he looks at uh, my bullpen coach. I can't think who was at the time. I can't remember who was at the time. But he looked at me. and like, hey, you're up. And I'm like, up where? He's like, you're up. Like, warm up. I'm like, what? So I jump up. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what planet I'm on right now. I am not ready. So I'm just firing balls, like, trying to get energy, right? Like, get loose, get loose warming up, firing it now. And I start to lock in. I really did. I, I did do that. I started to just get in that competitive locked in and they call me in the game. So he's like, you're in. So I run into the game uh, and I'm warming up. I have no idea what's going on in the game. I have no idea. Like, I don't know who's on base. I don't know what the freaking score is. I'm just like not paying attention. So I come in and I get done warming up and I turn around and I look around and the bases are loaded. And I'm like, oh, bases are loaded. So I'm looking around at my defense and guys are like, you got this. And there's a st- it gets loud standing ovation, like just starts. to come. like, at first, I'm like, dang, they had just announced my name. And I'm like, even these people know I'm having a great like it was almost kind of like they're they're cheering for me at Cleveland. I'm like, I turn around, Jim Tommy's in the box and he's oh, pointing his legend. bat at me. You know, like Casey at the bat, like he's he's pointing at me. And I'm like, this is like my hero. Like, I love that guy. You know, like I watched him since I was a kid, like he's, but he's in a box. I got bases loaded and I'm like, okay, just don't act like nothing affects you. So I'm just, nothing affects me. Like no big deal. So I go up there, fire fastball, boom, strike one. And I'm like, he just takes it. And then he looks down at Maine and Maine starts laughing. And I don't know what he's laughing at. He's just talking. And all of a sudden, he calls a curveball, throw a curveball, kind of buckles him a little bit, and he, strike two. And I'm like, okay, I'm 0-2 on Jim Tomey. me, base is loaded. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to throw, uh, I want to throw another, I'm going to throw another, I'll, I'll throw another curveball. And, and, and Maners went fastball away. And I'm like, fastball away. All right, threw a fastball. But I was scared. I'm like, I'm not freaking giving a bomb to this guy who is homers off. You know, fastballs. And so I threw it way away. I mean, I threw it so far away, it was like, sailed it. And I want a curveball. And he goes, Nope, fastball away. And I'm like, All right, I'm going to throw this. Cause it, cause I, I kind of started to figure out, I'm like, Oh, it's because he's probably sitting curveball. Maynard knows it, that I just burnt a fastball after I buckled him on a curveball. All right, I'm going to throw this. Um, And he wanted it up a little bit, you know? So can I, th- I got to throw this bell tie fastball to Jim Tomey. So, and a destroyer I destroyer of
1: belt high fastballs. Yeah. You're like, this is
0: not a good, city. but I'm like, all right, man. So I remember I fired, fired a runner and Jim never even moved. What strike three and the umpire rung him up, which I didn't think he would, you know, but I threw it, boom, hit the glove strike three. And Jim told me, looked at me and I just kind of walked off. Cause that was the end of the inning. Right. And I walked off just like, no big deal. Just kind of walked off, but my heart was coming out of my freaking chest. I was like, Holy crap, I just struck out Jim Tomei. Base is loaded. Okay, don't show excitement. Believe you be here. Just sit down. So I sat down, and uh, they looked over at me, and they said, yeah, you're done. I'm like, cool. Kind of, you can go to the shower up, do whatever. You don't have to keep score today. Just kind of something. All right. So I went and showered up, and I sat there, and I was just, like, freaking out in my brain. Well, about a week later in the camp, I hadn't been told I'm going down yet. No, I, I, I'm i just sitting there last day. Brian Shouse is crying, excited. I'm like, hey, man, you're right. He's like, yeah, they just told me I made the team, man. This is awesome for my family. And I, I shook his hand. But in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, man, I, I, I'm i getting sent down. I just threw 16 scoreless or whatever it was. Like, I just I'm getting sent down. So I didn't pretty much didn't have a shot. Like, it didn't matter what I did. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm not even focused during the drills. I'm messing up. I'm not even joining in. I'm just kind of pissed off. And because um, everybody had been told, the team, like, it's it. And I'm just, like, sitting there, and we have a game that day. So I'm at home, and I'm, like, sitting there, sitting there, and all of a sudden, right before the game starts, they're like, hey, Jeremy, um, uh, skip me to see you. So I'm like, all right, here's what, Jeremy, great job, blah, 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 we just don't have a spot, go down AAA, dominate, we'll call you up. Okay, so I'm sitting there, and I, I remember just sitting there, and, and, uh, and uh, the pitch, I think it was Nipper, was it Nipper? I think it was Nipper. Nipper walked in, looked at me, and just kind of kind of did gave me a little shrug of like, sorry, kid, you know, like, and I'm sitting there, I just kind of shook my head. And I, I just remember Skipper looked at me and said, hey, man, what's the biggest stadium you've pitched in? And I'm like, I don't know, Round Rock. He's like, well, they're bigger in AAA. All of them are like that in AAA. I'm like, yeah. He's like, you think you're ready for that? And I'm like, yeah. I'm good. And he's like, well, you better be ready for that because you're on my team. And I was like, what? I mean, I remember like just like, oh, I, I just sat there. And I was like, what'd you say? He's like, you're on my team, man. So I need you to be ready for triple deckers, 50,000 people yelling at you. I need you to do what you did this spring. But you're on my team. You're going with us. And I was like, and he's like, so I hope you have a suit. I said, I don't have a suit. He's like, $500 fine if you don't get on a plane with a suit. I'm like, so I'm like, my brain's spinning. I'm like, holy crap. So I remember uh, my ex-wife, yeah, I remember texting my ex-wife. Like, I was like. I gotta get a suit. Like I don't know what to do. Like I just, you know, I'm, 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 I'm thinking, or I wasn't texting because it, it was I was just like thinking in my head. I'm like, I, I gotta call my wife. I gotta tell her I get a suit. She's not there. I, I gotta pack. Like I didn't. I was not ready. Gotta,
1: gotta find the Fort Myers men's warehouse. Yeah,
0: like I literally had nothing, man. And I, and I remember I was just like, who? So I remember walking outside with my my Nokia cell phone or whatever I had, and, and I called, and I I was surprised. The first person I I called my dad. And my dad answered, and he's like, hey, man, what's up? I'm like, Dad, I was like, I made the team. And all of a sudden, it was silent. And I'm like, Dad, he's like, I remember he just started crying. And he was like, Jeremy, you made the team? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to the big leagues, Dad. He was so, he was just weeping. And he, he's a military guy. They don't cry for nothing, right? So I haven't heard him cry very much. And I just remember he's like, "Jeremy, I'm so proud of you!" He's screaming. I called my uh, and my my wife at the time. I called her. She was in. She was preparing to drive down to Omaha with our stuff. She wasn't even thinking big leagues, so she didn't even know how to like say congratulations. She's like, "Oh, cool." I'm like, "Cool." This the and she just couldn't wrap her mind around it, you know. And I just remember that that feeling of just like. You can't, you literally cannot. You have to, you have to actually live through it. I feel like there's a difference of you getting called up to the big leagues. And that would be an amazing thing, too, in the middle of a triple A season or double A season. But to, to, to sit there and be like getting called in by your big league manager, telling him you made the team, leaving with the team, walking onto a private jet, walking onto the team playing, being like, what the, this is like, movie stuff and the food like the cookies like i'm like what is happening you get c- catered meal like it was just the crazy that's what thing. everyone says
1: about the big leagues man it's the cookies that's yeah, that's dude, why everyone loves playing great, the big leagues man. oh man
0: like just crushing those <laughs> unbelievable cookies man i mean it is just i mean just walking into the big league clubhouse in kansas city when we arrived there and just looking around our uniforms are perfect lockers are massive i mean it was it was unbelievable.
1: I mean, it's, a, it's 30 days in spring training that changed the course of your career. It starts your service time earlier. Um, That's right. You know, change you probably, probably, you're probably, you probably get to free agency a year earlier because you had that spring training. That's right. Um, With, with that from 2002 to oh four, those, those first few seasons in Kansas city, they feature you shuttling from the rotation to the bullpen. You've been a starter in the minor leagues. That's two very different jobs in terms of what you have to accomplish in the bullpen. You could let it all hang out for an inning starter. You got to do things a little differently. The routine is different. The ready. I mean, how challenging is that trying to trying to find a role while every time out you're trying to get big league hitters out?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was terrible. Like, honestly, it was so hard mentally. Um, Cause they didn't really know. I started out as a reliever dominated that first half. I mean, I just came in, did exactly what I did spring training. First guy I faced Kenny Lofton, one of my childhood heroes, just watching Cleveland struck him out. You know, put
1: that man like, in the hall of fame.
0: Yeah. I mean he was unbelievable. You know, like he was great. I mean he was struck him out. I'm like, holy crap, I just struck out Kenny out. Like, but not in spring training. Like in an actual big league game. Like this is when the lights are on, man. It's 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 not about spring training now. So I then getting put in the rotation, dealing with blisters, crazy amount of blisters uh, that I couldn't stay in the rotation, going to Dominican, pitching in Dominican to, to getting blisters down there, to coming back, to having my nail removed, to trying to start again, figuring it out, finally figuring it out, going seven, eight innings against the Yankees in Boston. And like, okay, I got, then they're like, ah, we lost a closer. Can you close? Got moved to the closing role. Then they took me to arbitration as a lefty specialist. I'm like lefty specialist, like just crazy, crazy stuff to sabotage. Like it put a bitter taste in my mouth, you know. I, and, and the Glass family, you know, granted they, they bought a baseball team, they provided for us, so I can't disrespect them too much. But the way they treated me in arbitration, and they had to, they just tried to be cheap all the way around, cut or cut me. It was so bad. I literally didn't. I hated the game. I was like, this is a joke. Like, it's political. They 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 they're not for you. Your own team isn't even for you. Like, they're losing on purpose because they want to get draft picks. They don't even want, you know, they or they want to get the revenue sharing on top of it. So you're like, this is stupid. I don't want to play this game. I got no shot at winning. You know, so I got it became this super exciting kid that just made a big league team at twenty-two to not even enjoying the process of, of being in the big leagues within three, four years, man. It was really sad uh, to be honest with you. And, it, and in it, that it,
1: time too, kind of like, kind of like going back to what I asked when you were in double A, after you've seen the lay of the land and what you could be after you're in the big leagues for a couple of years, you're shuttling between these roles. You're starting, you're closing, you're doing all this stuff. Did you have an idea? Were you able, able to even hone an idea of this is what I think I should be in the, in the big, I should be this guy, or I should have this kind of, this kind of career was, and, and was that what you ended up with at the giants or were you still like, man, I should be a starter. I I know I have the stuff. Like, what did you want for yourself?
0: You know, I think if they would have left me as a starter and let me just be a starter fail. I mean, like just it's the Royals. What are you, what are you going to do? Win? you, I mean, honestly, and <laughs> that's not a knock. That's just like, it's true. Like, what is it What is it going to kill you for me to lose and learn how to be a big league starter that could potentially help you in a high-level situation as a starter? And they made me a number two. I lost opening day in uh, 2003, I think it was. I lost opening day starting starter to a coin flip to Rinalvis Hernandez. It was legitimately a coin flip. We had to call it. I called, and the guys were so mad at me. They're like, bro, tails never fails, bro. You called heads?
1: That is true. That is is kind of like you're an idiot. I'm
0: like, ah, dang it. You know, but you lose opening day start on that. You, I'm sorry, but teams that win do not do coin flips for opening day. Right. They just don't like, so the the mentality wasn't there, but I was doing well and they took me out of it. You know, like I was starting to figure it out and I feel like if they would have left me there, you know what I've, what I have done well, I think so. But I, I can't guarantee it because I can tell you that I enjoy being a reliever a lot more than I enjoy being a starter because I did not like sitting around preparing for my start all day. You're just sitting there, just sitting there. You know, some guys go to movies, some guys, I I just didn't want to know when I was pitching. So if I could have taken my relief mentality to the start where it's like, I'm not going to think about pitching until I get to the field. I don't really care. You know, I do a lot better, but I, when I when I became a reliever and when I became a full-time reliever with the Rockies, I actually started to enjoy the game. I loved the uh coming in in a big time situation. I loved uh um I loved like not knowing warming up, sitting down, getting going, coming in and just letting it fly. Like something about that high level, high pressure situation, I got calmer. Whereas a starter, I felt like I just never ginned up for the game. Or I was mentally spent before the game started over preparing, right? So could I have done it? I think so. But would I have would my journey have taken me to the Rockies as if I was a starter? No. Because they didn't need a starter. Going to the World Series at the Rockies because I was a reliever. Would I have gone to the Giants? No. You, what am I going to break into the Kane Linsacone? rotation like you're not kidding in there you know Bumgarner like
1: Jonathan Sanchez yeah, just they had their guys man
0: like so would I have gone to them no they needed a setup man so my journey in that area allowed me to take this path to get to these teams which brought three world championships like so could I have done it maybe but I might have been with the Royals and the Angels and the three can White Sox and never won a World Series. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you just would have bounced around rather than been in a situation where they needed a big-time lefty to basically come in and, and and be a big guy throwing hard from the left side with a breaking ball and just throw for an inning. Great. Great. I And, and for me, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and my brain's quirky, and I love messing around. I don't like overfocusing, and – and so for me, man, I, I probably say the route that I took would I have appreciated a different scenario in the sense how they took it maybe but but I, I'm not gonna ever say I wish it would have any different because I think I think it worked out pretty good for me.
1: It did it did. So you, you mentioned that you mentioned that move to Colorado you're you're traded at the deadline, fresh start defined role, uh, you know, in the, the year after you get there it's a World Series team. It is also pitching in Colorado. Anytime I get someone who pitches in I, I mean when you hear you're going to play half your games in Colorado what I mean what's the adjustment do you do you change a lot of the things you do when you're pitching in Colorado or is it I have to pitch my game and you know the thin air thin air be damned
0: No, you got to change. Uh I didn't realize that at first when I got traded there. I remember just like thinking, oh, my gosh, I was so excited to get traded. I just went to the airport right away. I I mean, I literally was on a plane within two hours. I was at the game that night when I got traded, and I was in Kansas City. I still got to the game that night and suited up and sat in the bullpen. Um, I wanted out of there. But I'll tell you what, um, you know, I, I didn't probably understand. I knew when I landed, I was like, oh, I just got traded to the freaking moon. This is going to – I'm already hating the game of baseball. Now there's no gravity. Great, you know. And and I remember I started – I was kind of pouting a little bit, but I remember getting uh, into the second game, and I was facing Prince Fielder, and I was like, I face this guy in interleague. You can't hit a curveball. save his life. So I was like, all right. So I get up there, and my first pitch was a curveball, and it didn't break because it's Colorado. And I'm like – I threw it like I do in Kansas City. I just threw it up there, and I was like, oh, dear – and he hit that thing in the second deck. I was like, first impression, curveball, Homer. i like, well, that's going to go over well. And then all you, there's no one in the stands, so all you heard was like, welcome to Colorado. And you're like, oh, man, this blows. And I just remember thinking, oh, all right. So I had kind of an up and down. I had a terrible – I mean, I had a couple blow-up outings. Did well blow-up outing. So your numbers are terrible. They're like a Six. And I didn't think I'd get it. I thought they'd just let me go. You know, it's kind of, a, I was an arbitration guy again. It was my last year of arbitration. I'm like, they're not going to, they're not going to pay me, you know? And they did. They picked up arbitration and they paid me. And, and they said, listen, you're a left-handed pitcher. You're a left-handed reliever. That's who you are. Don't change anything. I want you to work, figure out a way to become the best left-handed reliever you can possibly become. And I was like, all right. And so I remember calling Mike Mason again. And I remember uh saying, hey, hey, Mike, I, I gotta figure I, I got picked up by the Rockies again, but I gotta have a year. Like I got to fix something. Something's not right. I'm not enjoying it and my stuff's off. And you're the only guy I trust and he worked for the Royals and he's like, all right, fly into Minneapolis and I'm gonna work with you for 10 days. So I flew in, it was minus 30 with the wind chill. I mean, it was and I remember, I remember we I would be, I my and my uncle lived in Minneapolis. So I would live with him, I'd drive in, run as fast as I could to the gym, and my clothes would already be iced over. I mean, it was crazy. I went snowmobiling and my mask broke in half because of how cold it was, right? Like it was freezing. And I worked for 10 days when he put me on video. He said, We're gonna lower your arm slot. You're you're up here, I want you down here like I'm going to lower that sucker and we're going to work on a different delivery. And I said, all right, he goes, you'll still be in a power position, but I want you to cover more with the plate with your breaking ball. And I said, all right. And we did that. We worked for 10 days and I worked hard for those 10 days uh, revamping. That's stuff. a lot I, of blind I,
1: trust. That's a, that's a huge, I mean, that's a big change in something right. that you've been from something that got you to the big leagues and you've been doing for 10 plus years.
0: That's right. Yep. And he just said, hey, man. But I was so all in that I was like, hey, what I'm doing right now is not working. So he said, all right, we need to get these umpires to see your curveball as a strike more often. We need the hitters to see that curveball as a strike more often, even if it's not, to get them to want to commit it. And we, we got to keep that fastball at the knees, man. We got to keep it right there because we're going to break off that breaking ball. And I remember that year – 07 my era in colorado was 0. 0.9 it was crazy and i was like what but then my era in the road was like a five so i'm like i can't dude i could have had a crazy number if i would have had a, you know like it was like dang it you know and i but i but we still went to the world series i pitched in every game of the world series had a great world series uh signed with cincinnati and come in with that same slot and i remember they are like I was still getting hit a little bit, but I remember Todd Helton was like, dude, I remember seeing him when I was in San. He's like, honestly, man, you throw a hundred miles an hour. You're the hardest throwing hittable pitcher I've ever seen. He's like, what what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, he's like, man, you're my ex teammate, but we're we had the same agent, right? He's like, but dude, you're like a brother. You gotta fix something, man, because you can't throw that hard and get hit. We we see you. We can see the pit like you're hittable, man. And we don't can't, he, he's like, I can't, I can't guarantee you why you're hittable. I can just see you. Like, it's, it's right there. It's not like a hundred for us. I was throwing 98. He's like, it's not 98. It doesn't seem like it. And so I remember David Weathers walking up to me and I was after Helton. He said, you know why that is? I'm like, why is it? Cause you throw a four seamer up here and you're trying to throw it down here and your curveball's popping up there. That's why they can see it. They know what pitch is coming out of your hand. He's like, you got to throw a sinker. You're going to can that foreseamer. We're going to throw a sinker and throw your breaking ball off your sinker. And I'm like – and he was stormy with me. He was a crazy sinker guy, right, with a great slider. And he said, I'm going to teach you my sinker, and I want you to throw it 80% of the time. And when you get into the game, throw it 80% speed. <laughs> Just throw it 80%. Don't, don't overthrow it. Just BP fastball. I don't care if, you, if they freak out because your velocity went from 98 to 90 and you're not hurt working on something. And if they have something to say about it, I'll tell them. So I'm like, all right. So we work it, man. I remember the first guy I faced was Lance Berkman, and he's seen me a lot. And I throw him this sinker, and I throw, I back off, throw him a sinker, and he remember he kind of swings and he kind of chunks it right into the ground, hits a ground ball to second base, uh, to to get out of the inning. And I'm walking walking across the line and look at him. He's like, you have a sinker, and I'm like, guess so. He's like, I'm like kind of new he's like well it's not in the scouting report i'm like it's like good like <laughs> and so i remember i face him again throw all curveballs at him so curveball, curveball 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 sinker and he finally is like dude he is like he, he's shaking his head and then i started throwing sinker and sinker and then i started getting comfortable with the grip my velocity went from 90 93 94 95 96 i'm throwing 96 monarch sinkers had an incredible through 70 four ball games for Dusty that year it had like a, I think a low three or something in Cincinnati. That's a, that's pretty much Colorado.
1: Also hitters, also hitters ball. Punch. Yeah. So were, like, you, were you living arm side with that sinker? Or would you get to a point where you just throw it all over the place?
0: Nah, I lived arm side. I threw it right down the middle and let it run because I didn't know where it was going and I couldn't control the movement. So I try to turn it over. And so I couldn't throw it. I try to throw hip shots, but then I would push it. Right. So it would work because it would move guys but it wasn't coming back. And so mm-hmm. I just tried to throw it right down the middle and let it run. And I just got nut I had an unbelievable second half. I mean, it was crazy. My second half. And that's when Can- giants called me and gave me the deal I wanted. And for the rest of my career, I was a sinker curveball and got 32 double plays or something like that, or 25 double plays my year in Oh nine. Like I just, I was like double play machine. I'd walk the guy to get the double play, but is what it is. I'm <laughs> trying to figure out command of my sinker, you know, cause I'd have to, I'd walk everybody and I get a double play the next pitch. But my, I mean, that year in in '09, I was throwing ninety five, ninety six monarch sinkers, eighty three monarch curveballs wherever I want. I mean, I was out of my mind. I mean, I I tried to replicate that year, I couldn't even do it. And when I'd struggle, I go back to those videos of when I pitched, and I'm like, what is? Why, why can't I do that? I mean, I was '09 year was just a crazy year.
1: Well, you, you you still were able to find find success throughout the rest of your career. So let's, I mean, let's get to San Francisco, the city where a lot of things happen for you. Yep. Um, you know, is there, is there a magic bullet that world series teams have that others don't? Because you've been on four, four teams that reached the world series, three that won the world series. Like, is there, is there a secret sauce?
0: Pitching. It is it. It is it. And people do not get it. They don't, they still don't. And Texas did. When Bochi went to Texas, I'll guarantee you walked in and said, I need pitching. I got the lineup. Great. We can hit. Great, we can play pretty good defense. i got to have guys that can throw strikes from any one to any nine. I need all starters, bullpens, all to throw strikes. Bochy came in. When I got signed in 09, Sabian looked at me and he said, hey, I'm signing you because Bochy needs strike throws. And and he, and, that's, and I had, he goes, he, my walks were up in Cincinnati, but he's, but they knew I, it, Dusty loved intentional walks. He'd bring me into the game and have me intentionally walk the first guy. And I was exactly. like, have the guy that I just that was on the mound intentionally walked in. Why do I gotta put my guy on? Like, you know, he loved intentional walks. So uh they knew that it was up for that. And and they said, listen, they need you to pump that strike zone and just stay ahead and count and let him play defense. Like, strike him out if you have to, but just throw strikes. He does we got guys walking everybody. So Boch goes, I guarantee you went in Texas, said the same thing. Get me a group of guys that throw strikes. And I'll win. And he did, right? He knows pitching. Pitching is it. Colorado, Francis. You I mean, you had um shoot, we had uh Jeff Francis throwing strike hook that was throwing 79 pitch complete games with a sinker. You know, you had Josh Fogg that was just a strike throwing. He was with me in Cincinnati too. He's just a strike throwing machine. He wasn't anything crazy special, but just threw a ton of strikes, right? I mean, you had You've, you know Jimenez was the one that was the wild card. He's throwing 102 miles an hour, or whatever, but didn't matter. He was just different. It was okay to have somebody different, right? So we just had guys that threw a lot of strikes. So you get over to San Francisco now, and you have a bullpen that wasn't throwing strikes. They weren't. They had a bunch of young guys that could not maintain close ball games. Well, you brought in Bob Howry. You brought in myself to pitch with Brian Wilson, and the next thing you know, you got Romo. Romo's up and coming. He's throwing built nasty sliders right frisbee sliders yeah so like you have that coming in and you're like moda they went and got moda you know in 10 i think but it was like they just went and got a bunch of strike throwers to match up with kane lincecum uh, uh Vogel song came in i think in 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 was it oh nine no he didn't come in zito was there but i think something happened um I can't remember. It was, it was, uh, it was 2010 that bogey, I think stepped in, but you had, I mean, you had strike throw, after strike throw, and Johnny Sanchez. He didn't throw a lot of strikes. He was just so filthy. Like throwing no know. No one could,
1: no one could touch that guy.
0: Yeah. You just couldn't, he, if he would have thrown more strikes, he would have been even way better. Right. So you have all that coming at you and we're a two to one ball game. And you just put in, you know, Howry or myself or Romo or, or wheeze and just let it go. and, that's how we want to kind of know nine to peak it. But then you get 10, you add Moda, strike throwing machine, right? Just strike throw after strike after, and great change up, you know, and little, little slider. You got Moda, you got Romo, you got uh, Wilson, myself, and you just got all these. And it's just like, that's all we did was just throw crazy strikes. Th- oh, Javi. And then you bring in Javi, who's a strike thrower throwing machine. from too. his hip. Yeah, like, making people look stupid, right? So, like, you bring all those guys in, compared now, Vogie gets added to the mix, strike-throwing machine, understands quadrants, starts throwing all bad bum, freaking nature at 19 years old or whatever he is when he comes up. Like, you add that with a – it, it. the formula is pitching. It's pitching, and people do not understand. It. And you got to have a bullpen that can have big balls and handle the back end of the, 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 the rotation – When games matter, not when you're up ten nothing, not when you're up six to four or six to three, no two to one. Like one pitch changes the course of the game. One one ball games. I need guys that can pitch in a tie ball game or in a one run ball game. You get me those in the back end of the pen and give me some starters. We'll win the World Series. It will happen. It will. And to me, they just these analytic guys. They don't get it. They don't understand the situation.
1: When you carried a 0. .86 ERA in, in, in career in the postseason and went scoreless in uh in twenty fourteen and most of twenty twelve. I just the, the question I, cause I'm sure you have you have talked about the World Series and the postseason on there all that is out there, but I'm just curious, looking at those World Series opponents Texas has Josh Hamilton. Detroit has Prince Casey at Hosmer Mustakas, Alex Gordon. That team is very left-handed Yeah. when you're heading into the series. Are you just like sequencing those guys in your sleep? Like, is that the focus of knowing that I'm going to have to go get Josh Hamilton in a big spot? I'm going to have to go get, you know, Prince in a big spot and things like, like yep. is, is, you know, what are you thinking? Like, how are you, are you, do you pre game plan, I guess for the hitters like that, knowing that those big moments are coming?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for me, I knew I was going to handle the big lefties and the and the power switch hitters, right? That was your deal. That was my skit. And we'd walk a guy or, or pitch around a guy if I had to, if I had two outs and we had a switch hitter or a righty coming off the bench. Because Boach's thing was like, if I can get a big-time lefty out of the game and have a righty coming off cold off the bench, I'll let you, my numbers are pretty good. You know, I'm a power guy, right? So in my sinker, sinker away those righties, it's off the end of the bat. Right, so he was like, but he he was just like, I'm I'm gonna need that, but if it's a bunch of righties, you're getting Romo's frisbees. <laughs> I mean, that's just what you're gonna get, right? So, so he wanted me facing the lefties in the middle of the lineup, and some switch hitters in the middle of the lineup, and then any cold hitter coming off the bench. That's what he is. That was his biggest deal with me. And so I looked at all those guys, I looked at the lineup, and said, okay, these are the probably big areas. That's who I'm gonna focus on. These are the guys that I know I'm gonna face. These are the guys that I could potentially face. I don't care about anybody else. And, and that helped me a lot uh, coming in. And then with Kansas city, it was like, Jeremy, you're going to pitch every game because that's all I got. You know, so they has switchies and the lefties. Right. So, you know, for me, I just focus. I kept that really every series. I just kept simple. I really did. I mean, people say, what did you do different? I didn't do anything different. I threw a ton of strikes and I kept calm and I didn't allow the situation to be a distraction. I got rid of all my distractions. I don't care if it's the AL, NLCS, NLDS, World Series, Game One, Game Seven. It's sixty feet six inches, and I want to throw strikes and I want to do my job. I didn't allow anything else to creep into my head. If I would have, I wouldn't have done as well. If I would have thought, Kansas City, Game Seven, it's Game Seven. Um, if I'm thinking Game Seven the whole time out there, I'd probably give it up two bombs, right? So I just thought about execution. I thought about getting that ball. I got to get to the fifth to give bum the ball. And if I got to blow out doing it, I'm going to blow out doing it. And that was the that was the game plan in Game Seven. Figure out a way to get it to the fifth. And and I knew I was going to have to pitch and throw more pitches than I've thrown in who knows how many years in one outing. And it, I just went after it. it. It probably costed me my 2015 year because I just couldn't bounce back. You know, my arm was just tired and and it was just not right, ready. But I had to throw the amount of things I had to throw in 2014 to help pick up some innings and some spots to, to help other guys get set up for their roles to, to win that world championship. And that's what it's all about. That's what I'm playing this game for. Like I'm not playing to play 20 years. Like I want to ring. And if I'm in the world series, I don't want to go home. I've, I've been a loser. I've been in Colorado. It sucks. I would rather have not gone to the world series and losing the world series. It's tough to lose in the world series, man. Like I'm not out there to lose. And so for me, you know, I going out there, I just didn't change my approach and didn't let the distractions get to me. And I think, you know, when you get to the playoffs, I think that's what affects a lot of guys is the distraction of the, of the platform they're on at the time. And I just didn't allow that that in.
1: So, yeah, I was going to say that I'm I'm sure the ring makes, makes hurt arm or arm not bouncing back feel, feel a lot better, but you pick up those three rings with the giants, hang it up. What, when did you fall in love with craft beer? Why are you sitting where you're sitting right now at your brewery in Bernie, Texas?
0: Fell in love with craft beer in in San Francisco. You know, I didn't have a drip of alcohol until I was 26 years old. I, my first drink was a beer in um, New Zealand. Man, it was just like, I was like, I'll try one. Why not? Went in Rome. All right. Everybody else is drinking it. It's like Germany. Like, they all drink beer. It's like they're water over there, right? So for me, it was like, I, I didn't even, in fact, Todd Hilton, I talked to him uh, a year ago. And he's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm running my brewery. He starts laughing. I'm like, why are you laughing? He's like, dude, you don't even drink i said i didn't drink when i played with you and i don't drink a lot now i just like the idea of craft beer and he's like this is seriously the funniest and stupidest thing i've ever heard (laughs) he just could not buy the fact that i have a brewery and so but i kind of fell in love in san francisco because i don't like i would say i wasn't i didn't love beer i loved craft beer like i don't like beer like i'm not gonna i mean i'm you know, I'm not gonna drink Coors Light. I'm not gonna. I just don't. Wanna, if I'm gonna drink a beer, that's not what I'm drinking. And if I have a choice between water and Coors Light, I'm gonna drink water. Like I don't like that beer. So it's like of the I'm same not gonna, thing,
1: except one has booze in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> They're both water, you know. So and and I'm like, I, but now craft beer was a little different because when I was hanging out Twenty First Amendment well, for my fundraisers, I did fundraisers at the brewery there, just up from the stadium. I actually got to brew a beer with my brewer now. He worked for 21st, and and I brewed a beer with Jaron, and he was teaching me, no, 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 we're going to have a little bit of this. Dude, we could throw a little of this in there. And the most killer thing I ever did with him, he dropped. We were able to get untreated maple bats uh, from Louisville, and they were not treated. So he didn't have any. He dropped them in the fermenter the entire time and it pulled the maple just
1: just a batch just rolling around in the fermenter
0: yeah he had three bats in there just sitting there so and it pulled it out and it was like what he's like yeah but it's cool because baseball like you have bats in there man and then we pulled those bats out and i signed them put them all like it was the coolest thing man like i was like wait you can do that he's like you can do whatever you want you can throw whatever you want in there it's it's just a process i'm like so I fell in love with that idea and then the community aspect. I'm a big – I was a community guy my entire career. I love being a part of community events. I love pouring back into the community, uh, using my influence that was something in the
1: I didn't get to it in my run sheet, but something you were especially highlighted for in your time in San Francisco was yeah. being involved in that community.
0: And I loved it, and I still love it. Like, it's a platform. It's great. It, it, it's what we're there for, right? Like, you got to want to play baseball more than just go out on a field. That's Groundhog's Day. you got to have a purpose to play the game not just to play the game. If that's your purpose, you're going to get real bored, and it's not going to be very much fun, right? So for me, I was like, wow, it's community. It's creative. You can do fun stuff. And I just loved making a beer with him. And I remember when I came here, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like, I can't hunt and fish my whole life, right? Can't do that. And I remember I, I lost my marriage, and it was a kick to the gut, man. It was 20-plus years. I mean, it was a kick to the – I'm a family guy. Like, I freaking love family. And so when, when the boy's mother decided to p- depart, I was like, oh, I mean, it was just such a devastating moment for me. But I was like, all right, nope. it's baseball. What do you do in baseball? Controllables and uncontrollables. I can't control that. What I can't control is how I react with my boys, how I love my boys, and how I push through life. That's all I can control. So what am I going to do? And I remember – I was speaking at a brewery. Uh, I got brought in to speak for this church and this pastor was like, Hey man, I can't get anybody to come out to my men's nights. And I'm like, Oh yeah. So where do you have them? He's like at my church. Well, there ain't a man in this country that wants to go to work and then go into a classroom after (laughs) after work. It's just not going to happen. There's no one going to say, can't wait to go there. You know, I was like, you got to have it somewhere else, man. He's like, well, that's kind of why I was like trying to uh, tell you. I just didn't know if I'd offend you. And I'm like, where are we at? He's like, I'm at a brewery. I put it at Jack Russell Brewery. And I'm like, you obviously do not know me. <laughs> I said, I'll be more than comfortable speaking to men at a brewery. So I get to this brewery, grab a beer, light a cigar, walk up on stage. And everybody's like, they kind of look at me and they all start leaving. And I was like, man, I didn't know I'd offend people with a freaking cigar and a beer. Like we're at a brewery. Well, they all came back with cigars and cigarettes and, and it was laughing because they were like, well, I didn't know if it was like appropriate or pastors here. And so I'm like, let me tell you something. A,
1: a real smoke them. If, if you got them situation.
0: Yeah. If, if you're going to do it at your house, just do it here. What is your pastor going to get mad? Like, I was like, he laughed. He's like, yeah, that's the problem. I, I'm dealing with this kind of a mental situation. They, they, they're not seeing it. And so I remember having so much, like I cried with you. I talked about the Buffalo mentality. I was, I didn't quite lose my marriage yet, but I was about to, I could feel it. So I was like, man, I want to tell them about charging storms, man, and taking it on and and, and knowing that God has a – and I remember doing all that, right? And I remember I was going down the hill, and I was like, I really like just talking to people at a brewery. Like, I enjoy the community aspect of it. I enjoy the uh, – t- I love talking to men about men's stuff, man. I love it. I, I freaking love it. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start a brewery in Bernie. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a beer garden. I'm gonna do men's nights. I'm gonna have a great time. and I'm gonna brew a good beer. Now I gotta figure out how to convince someone to. I'm not gonna brew. And I knew that where we were at was right for a really good brewery. And we have a couple of them here. I just knew there could do, be another one, right? I was like, man, we could do this. We could make a brewery like capital Area down here. I just want the. I gotta have the right brewer. And I remember thinking about Jaron, and I remember calling. Uh, uh, Brandon, who's no longer with us, but he was, he helped us get us going and, and saying, I want to do this. And they're like, well, you're going to need Jaron. I'm like, I don't know if you're going to get that guy. He's like one of the best brewers in the country. And he's like, we'll get him." And Jaron said, I'm in, I'm ready. And he came out with me. And now I do exactly that men's nights. I just had it last night. I get 150 men back there. We light cigars. I got a cigar guy out here. You know, I got food trucks. The community aspect of it's awesome. I'm doing bingo. I'm going to MC bingo. I'm doing my own bingo night. Like, I can do what I want. I'm like, freaking, we're doing bingo on Wednesdays. So we got that. We're going to do, we have music. We we got trivia, men's nights, women's nights. I mean, we just do so much. And I I love it because I can say, I dictate it. This is what we're doing. And people are coming in. Some of the intrigue of the athlete, right? There is that, obviously. But there's a, there's a part of it. It's like, yeah, but you're thinking I'm going to come in and just be a face. You're going to see that I care about the community. Like I care about every aspect of it. I care about the influence of women, men, children. You know, I care about the – we have a Bible study that's 30 deep in Thursday mornings. And I got people that are 20 to 80 years old in it because the gray hair, I call them the gray hair, the wisdom, the wise men of our area, I want them here talking to to the younger guys. Like we are all about community and what better way to do it than over beer? Like it's awesome. You know, like, like we all just hang out. You know, we have NA beer. We got NA. We got wine. My wife's a big wine person. We got wine. The women love it. They got good beer. We got sodas for the kids. We do our own root beer. Like it's awesome for me. You know, I'm looking out my uh, right in front of me is a big, huge window, and I'm looking at my brewery. I'm seeing people just packed in here, laughing. They're like, "That's it. That's what. That's what it's all about." You know, and I get to use my influence on that, and we'll bring in. I've got the ability to bring in certain speakers because of what I did get all that and people all talk baseball and I got a bat rack in there that has a bat of guys either played with or played against that I appreciate and have a story behind every one of them. And people will be like, Hey, tell me about that bat. Tell them a story about it. You know, like it's great. You know? And, and for me to have that kind of influence, that's what I did in the game is use my platform to have an influence in the community. Now I just use it a little differently, but I still get to have influence. I still get a platform.
1: Well, your brewery, free roam, a couple of the other you know, spots that you mentioned there, a couple of the other breweries have done what I thought as someone who grew up in Bernie was impossible was make Bernie kind of cool. So uh, yeah. that, that has been uh that's been a, yeah. a, a beloved yeah. change. Yeah. Uh, but the the last thing really, if you know, if you could go back, give a pep talk to your 18 year old self, fresh off signing that contract with the Royals, what would that pep talk look like?
0: Man, it would be like, Hey man, you gotta understand the controllable, and the uncontrollable that you're about to walk into. It's going to be a highly competitive area. And if you're focusing on your failures and you're focusing on your uncontrollables, man, in a negative way, you're never going to be who you want to be. If you look at baseball as a failure, which is what 90, like 70% of the game is. If you say the word failure, you'll be exactly that. If you say it's a teachable moment, you'll win. And for me, I want you to look at Jeremy at 18. I want you to look at every failure you have as a teachable moment, learn from every one of those. And when you have success, Enjoy it. Enjoy the one good outing. Enjoy a six inning shutout. Enjoy it. Don't be like, ah, whatever, next game. No, no, enjoy it for a couple days. What did you do right? What did you learn from your failure that allowed you to do that right? Now you go out the next game and you might go five, five innings, six innings, give up four runs. Okay. What did you learn? Not, nah, I didn't have a quality start. No, no. What did you learn that you can do the next time out. And then those are the things things that are going to go into that bank that is going to allow you to be that guy that goes out and then consistently goes six, seven, eight innings, three runs or less. That's what you're going to be. But you're not going to be that right out the gate. So take every moment that you don't succeed and learn from it and make it a teachable moment and then trust it and go through the process because the process is okay. It's okay to go through that process of learning. It's not always about be succeeding. If you succeed too much early, you're never going to learn how to, you're not going to learn how to fail. You're not going to learn how to learn late, right? You're going to give up and you're going to quit. And so you need to take those things as teachable moments, man, and give it your best shot. That's what I tell them.
1: I got a quick rapid fire for it. Then I'll let you get out of here. Yeah. Favorite minor league ballpark.
0: Favorite minor league ballpark, uh, Dell diamond.
1: Favorite big league ballpark.
0: I got a San Francisco because I loved it there, but I would say if I didn't have to, if I didn't, Let's say non playable not non home St. Louis.
1: Best hitter you ever faced.
0: Albert Pujols.
1: Good choice. Uh best San Francisco food spot.
0: Best San Francisco. Oh, dude. There's too many good ones. Ugh. man. Um Okay. Not a lot of people know it, but it's bet it's called the Pinecrest. It's uh, right uh it's a Pinecrest Cafe has the best egg white almond I've ever had in my entire life and they're open 24 hours. It's awesome. I go there at 2 a.m.
1: Last thing I've got, everyone gets this. Do you have a nightmare bus ride story from the minor leagues? Nightmare bus ride story. (laughs) She had so many
0: nightmare bus ride stories. Um, man, a nightmare bus ride story. If I had to close my eyes and think about it. Um, yeah, so there was a time. So when you're driving, and you got to go – and there's a guy on our team named Corey Hart.
1: Oh, yeah. And big, little Long-time big leaguer, Corey Hart, right?
0: Yeah, no, no. Different. No, no, not him, not the outfielder. Um, uh, He's a, he a little infielder uh, with the Royals. And good, good little ball player, but uh, never made it. And he'd always play the song Sunglasses at night. That was the big deal, Corey Hart song, right? So uh, we, were, we were on a bus ride, and we had played – we were in double we A. Those are the long bus rides. Texas
1: League is the long bus ride league.
0: Bro, sixteen hours, right? So, so I but you had to do what you had to do, and I was on the forty man. So the forty man got their own seat, right? That was just the gig, right? You didn't have to team up with anybody. So I was on the forty man, but the seats still were not comfortable. There, it wasn't like the buses they have today, right? They're the old school ones where this even the like the break down the middle had like a metal beam in it. So if you tried to lay down, it'd be right in your freaking lower back, right? So. I was remember I was like, dude, I can't do this. I got to sleep. And I just remember getting on the floor and sleeping and laying down. And I remember waking up just feeling this warm fluid. Oh, no. And I'm like, what? And I look up and Corey Hart's dip cup that he'd been dipping in for six hours had tipped over. And it was soaking into my body. It was all over me, like it rolled down. He was asleep. And he dropped it, and it was rolling down the. And I was soaked in it. And you, you, what are you gonna do? Stop the, dude. I was so hot. I jumped up. I'm like, come on. And then everybody's like laughing. I'm covered in dip, and it's spit too. It's just not dip. It's like spit dip, right? So, and I remember I was so mad. I was. Yeah. He woke up, and he's like looking around, and he was such a southern boy he just remember he was like oh sorry I fell I apologize I'm like apologize I'm soaked in space like yeah Mm. Uh, yeah that was mine (laughs) and then he put another freaking piece of dip in his mouth and he kept going and it was I never slept I mean never again like it it was that is so grotesque to me like and it's 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 I woke up because it was soaking my neck it was just all over me and it was just like oh so that was that was a rough go man i was ugh, that kind of stuff but that happened a lot honestly it did i saw it happen a lot more than just to me just when it happened to me it was ugh.
1: okay almost 100 episodes in i do think that is our first uh dip spit story so uh we'll add, add that, well, add that one to the wall uh jeremy <laughs> that is all i've got for you very grateful for your time thank you so much for joining from phenom on the farm heck yeah man thanks for having me you got it and that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Huge thanks to Jeremy Feld for stopping by, walking us through his journey in baseball. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate and leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend if that friend likes baseball. And make sure to subscribe to Baseball America for all your amateur baseball and prospect news. And with that, we'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening.